Welcome to That's No Longer My Ministry, a podcast that tells a different story about healing. A story of healing as discipline, as real, hard, and uncomfortable work. This is a place where we honor the journeys of marginalized folk actively purging years of programming and the consequence of never being centered. A place for acknowledging and moving through trauma. A place where radical self-liberation is sought and no is a complete sentence. You should listen if you're someone who wants to build the kind of life you don't need to escape from. I'm your host, Nadia, a black woman who has spent way too much time trying to fit into a number of spaces that weren't and still aren't meant for me. But that's no longer my ministry. definitely at a point where um, I'm going through something. I don't know what it is. It's like, um, I feel like for like anyone who's like been in like therapy or done like personal exploration, like you just get some moments where like either like you dug something up recently and like you're just in the motions and in the feelings of it, or you've like, right, like you've almost like dug this thing out of a hole And now like, there's like other stuff within that hole um, that you're, that's like coming out at you. And you're like, oh, like, I didn't even know this was there. So there's, there's something of that happening, but like, I don't know what it is yet. Interesting. And you seem really comfortable with the fact that you don't know what it is. Yes. Yes. It, um, I think because whenever like this, this is like not a new feeling for me. And it's something that I've, especially being in, in school, has just come up pretty consistently over the last year or so. Every time I'm sort of digging through into my past, traumas, history, et cetera, like, like it's just been this consistent feeling of just like when something new is coming up, like this is it. Um, and it's exciting. It's like, it's a little unnerving. Like this morning, I was definitely in a totally different state. Um, but then like, I sort of just like, try to figure out how to like settle into it and just like I don't know just just like feel into the feeling and just like knowing like trusting the process and just knowing like it's going to lead me somewhere I love that I'm so bad at sitting with my feelings especially when I can't figure out what's happening because I feel like I too go through a lot of something's happening I'm in a funk I don't know what it is yet I can't identify it and that drives me mad sometimes because I just want to be able to name it and then put it on a shelf somewhere and then never deal with it again (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah I've been there and I do that for certain things also (laughs) (laughs) okay good oh so you're not perfect okay yeah no there's definitely certain things that I'm just like nope we're not going there and just (laughs) setting it aside (laughs) I love Um, it I love it for another day um (laughs) But definitely, um, I think my partner feels this more than anyone else. Like I sit in the feelings and really get in it mm-hmm. and you know, like, it's heavy. You can yeah. feel the energy around you. Like others can feel it around you too. Um, so it's definitely something I try to be like mindful of too, when I'm, especially around her and around our, our son too. Cause even though, right, he's a baby, like, it's like, kids pick up and attune to your feelings very quickly and very easily. And so, um, yeah, there's definitely, there's, that, that's sort of like the, the feeling I'm, I'm where I'm at right now is just like, there's, there's growth happening. Yeah. I just don't know what it is, but it's, I'm breathing into it and I'll, I'll get through it. I hopefully. love that. I love that. You will not hopefully. Yeah, you yeah, will. yeah, I will. I will. Exactly. <laughs> um, so right now is a good opportunity to introduce yourself to the listeners. Um, I know you because you were a former colleague of mine, but more so than that, I just feel like we connected on a spiritual level in some of our meetings, especially working in tech, both people of color and experiencing different things than our white counterparts. So I'm going to give you space and time to introduce yourself and maybe some of the identities you hold and um, the values that you have. Yeah, definitely. Where to start? It's hard to just like on the spot bio yourself, but. So I would say first and foremost, I'm a Latinx male um, hetero, in the heteronormative sense and space. Um and I'm in my mid-30s. I'm a dad. 
Yay. A new a dad. Partner, a new super new dad, 10 months old dad, a partner, loving husband as much as I can. And whenever my mind lets me, <laughs> um, I'm first generation in the United States from the Dominican Republic, living in California, trying to survive in tech because I felt like that was the thing for me but also going through transitions into a space that I feel like is much more meaningful and connects with me more as a person, which is counseling psychology. Yeah, and I would say, I don't know, like it's so funny because like the identity piece is so is so strange sometimes, right? Because I think for me, especially in being in the professional space for so long, it's always been like lead with your career and who you are and where you've worked and what you've accomplished. and I'm still learning how to like undo that. Yeah. And I'm still trying to figure out the true parts of my identity. For example, like I said, Latinx, but like that's honestly been like a new way for me to identify myself. And if you would have asked me that question a year ago, like that would not have been like the leading piece of like who I was. Why is that? Are we, <laughs> we, Why are we, you we, mad at me for asking you questions no, that you no, I'm I was going to ask? I, you? I just like, are, are we diving into that? Because that's. <laughs> it could be a little, give us a little taste of what's to come. <laughs> yeah. For a long time, I held like American beliefs to be like true to who I was and to define me. And I'm actually starting to see like all of the feelings I felt and all of the things that for the most part felt wrong in my life were because I was missing those pieces that were sort of part of like my ancestral culture and my country of origin. Mm. And so the Latinx piece honestly was like a new thing. I feel like I just started identifying with like six months ago, even though I was born in the Dominican Republic Yeah, and that's where I'm from. And, um, but that's not, those weren't the beliefs I was raised into. That wasn't the culture I was raised into. And I'm honestly just going through like a rediscovery of myself and what those true, what those like Latinx beliefs are to me and what they mean to me and what they're going to mean for my family, how they're going to play out in my world, mm. um, how I'm going to hold that while holding and living in like America. Yeah. That's, I'm, I'm excited to talk about that. I'm excited to talk about that. But before we do, we're going to move into segment one. (laughs) So, So You've Been Told, where I rapid fire some quotes and get responses for you based on some subjects we're exploring. And today we're going to talk about every white person's favorite thing since, I don't know, 2020, probably. Since the pandemic hit, I just feel like every other day I see some kind of workshop or um, webinar for resilience. It's the buzzword. It's their fave. Uh, uh. <laughs> and for people who don't know, I pulled I pulled a, a definition of resilience, whether or not this fits into anybody else's definition. This is one the internet provided. The process mm-hmm. of adapting well in the face of adversity, trauma, tragedy, threats, or significant sources of stress, which could involve profound personal growth. So the idea of going through shit and bouncing back. Now we are teaching this in, and I find this really interesting. I know I'm doing a lot of talking right now, but I find this really interesting because one thing you and I both know is that people of color have been resilient our entire lives. It's not necessarily a choice. We don't get to build it by choice. It's just what is and how we survive and thrive. And yeah, white people are like, well, we have to teach classes because white people, we never built this muscle. And what does that say? Like, I feel like resiliency is like, just like, feels like day one out of the room for any person of color in some sense. Yeah. Like even before, right? Like, it's like, you're, you're in your parents in your mother's womb. And it's just like, like, you're already like feeling the resiliency around you from everything that's happening in her environment. Mm-hmm. And like, Honestly, like I've, I've heard so, so many times, like um, professionally, personally, like, oh, like um, 
in some words or another, like one of your strengths is your resiliency. And I, I honestly, I get triggered by it. Right. Cause they're trying to, they're trying to compliment you. They're trying to compliment me. And instead it's like, like if only you knew why I am as resilient as I am. Like, yeah. All the work stuff that I'm dealing with right now is honestly nothing in comparison to the things in my life that I've dealt with and have had to overcome. Mm -hmm. And I just wish like people would take a step back a little bit and just reassess the usage of that word. Cause especially like underrepresented communities and populations, like they shouldn't have to develop more resiliency like the systems of oppression that are keeping us down should adapt to making it easier for easier for us so as to not have to consistently overcome the way that we're continuously overcoming. Right. It's basically giving systems permission to stay the same and putting the onus on the individual, more likely than not the marginalized individual to cope and then show up on the other end better than before. That's like the whole, mm-hmm. I feel like the whole mantra is like, and be as strong as you were and even stronger. And it's like, but if you would just change that thing, I wouldn't have to go through all of this trauma to get to where you want me to be. Maybe I could be there in a different way. Yeah. And I, I like, in my own personal sense, like resiliency is like, I see it as like my superpower to some extent in the sense of like, I've gone through everything I've gone through. I've overcome the trauma and circumstances that I've overcome. And I like, it's like, it's so challenging. Cause like, right. Like it's like when you, when you're like working through something really challenging that's happened in your life, that's like led you to like having to figure out how to be resilient. Like mm-hmm. once you, once you like figure out the way to come out on the other side of that, it's just like, it's almost like you're like playing Super Mario Brothers and you're just like, you got the star and that's your power up. And like, but you're just like, like, that's the, that's your base level at that point. <laughs> like you're at the base level of the star, like indefinitely to some, to some extent. Um, yeah. But it's just really unfortunate how, especially like in work environments, like it's seen as just like a strength. Um, The other, the other thing I like, it's so funny. Like, I think the other thing that's sort of similar to resiliency that keeps coming to mind for me is like, adapting a growth mindset oh yeah those oh man the way that just triggered me because that's like every white woman's favorite thing to say especially oh especially to me they'll be like what if you chose to adapt a a growth mindset wasn't that by carol carol dweck Mm -hmm. was the one who coined that we got it yeah i i i see those two things going hand in hand where like someone's like oh well like why don't you just like, uh, instead of like feeling, I don't know, I guess like instead of being pessimistic about it, like adapt into it and grow into it. And it's like, again, like, it's like, I've, I've been doing this all my life and I'm tired. Like, right. Like, it's like, sometimes you just like, no, like, I don't want to grow. Like I want to be exactly where I'm at and I want to feel the space and I don't want to have to grow because you know, you're telling me to, or you're feeling like I need to grow into it. Like, Mm. no, like I'm tired of that. And instead I'm just going to sit right here and be who I am. And I'm going to take this space up in the way I want to take it up. Yeah. And the whole, um, growth mindset is it's, I think it's ironic because part of it is stating that you shouldn't have limiting beliefs. But aren't the people who are asking us as people of color to adapt a growth mindset, don't they have limiting beliefs about what could change about all kinds of systems? Like, I find it really interesting that people will see the opposite of a growth mindset as pessimism, but it's like, Mm -hmm. actually, I'm just critically thinking about what's happening around me and I'm imagining a new, better world. That feels like a growth mindset to me. Yeah, we are put for the most part in that limited mindset sometimes because of what's been constructed around us. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, 
you know, like I'm, I'm not trying to limit myself, but I've just faced this particular type of microaggression or behavior towards me all the time where mm -hmm. sometimes like that just ends up being the behavior that I'm going to get stuck in for some time. Cause I'm human. Right. Or, or I might sort of like instead like build out some like maladaptive behaviors, which might help me overcome, but they're actually super unhealthy for me. And now that I'm coming to the point where I'm actually, you know, like identifying that, like you're actually seeing like, oh, like, no, you're not, you're not growing the way you should be. No, like I'm not growing because I'm having a really terrible way of adapting to it. That's super unhealthy for me. And I'm trying to figure out a better way to do it for myself. Right. Yeah. That's like the thesis for this podcast. Uh, great summary. <laughs> I did pull a quote. I pulled two, but one, we already talked about the first one was while resilience can be developed, we should consider how some have no choice but to be resilient. And so we already spoke to that part, but yeah. there was another quote. It was from someone speaking to resiliency. And I think it was a person of color in this article. It is my hope that we will make more room for humanity when making reference to that term resilient. I hope we do not allow being resilient to, to prevent us from expressing empathy, vulnerability, et cetera, to each other. And I feel like that actually ties into what you were just saying. Yeah, right. It's like ensuring like you're letting the individual to like breathe into their space that you're validating them for what's happening, right? It's so easy for us to jump to the point of like, like, oh, again, like, right, have a growth mindset, like figure out the next step to make this better, et cetera, et cetera, versus like, what about just meeting the person where they're at? Yeah. Like validating, like being like, this is, this must be challenging for you. Like there's, I don't know, like it's validation unto itself has been something like I, I never got like growing up mm. and has really like been like, right. I, I've been going to school for about a year now to get, become a licensed marriage family therapist. And really like the biggest thing I've taken away that I know I've needed, but that also just like makes just the biggest impact on someone else is that active listening, that empathy, that validation piece, like just having someone like meet you where you're at and you not trying to rush them along to processing and healing and being resilient towards what sort of the, right. Like, it's like, like you and I, like, we don't need to be told to be resilient, right? Like, we'll get there and we know we will because it's just like the nature of where we've landed in this world right mm -hmm. but can you imagine like just like how much more empowered we would feel if people just sat with us with those feelings like our white counterparts imagine like imagine like your white counterparts like when you tell them something about how you're feeling about how someone's treating you as a person of color and instead of them trying to rush you towards like them understanding or sort of them trying to just help sort of solve the issue like that, they just like sit and feel with you. Like, yeah, I don't think I've ever had that happen. Like, to be honest, like, no, instead they will write things in your review, like needs to pose problems alongside solutions in order to be a more positive force in the workplace. And it's like, actually, I'm telling you about problems that I alone can't solve. So as a marginalized person, maybe don't also put it on me to solve the problems that you are perpetuating as a white person in this space. In fact, I can think of a number of other people who should solution, but not me. I would like you to just hear me and validate that what I'm experiencing is real. It's, and I'm so glad you brought like the workplace piece into this. Cause I think, right. Like, like sometimes like I, I've noticed sort of in my career, like for a long time, like I was never able to come in like solutions oriented into a lot of things. And a lot of it is because of that past of mm -hmm. just like being stuck in this place of just feeling continuously marginalized and sort of pigeonholed and put into this like space of like, well, I know everything around me isn't correct, but I also feel like I can't really solve it and just feeling stuck in some kind of loop, right? Yeah. Like the skills to learn how to like sort of be solutions oriented, like is really difficult when you want to find a solution towards like how people have like continuously microaggressed you for your entire life, but you can't even like figure out the way to like 
speak up about it and speak against them in a way where you won't feel like you won't be put back into your place again in some ways. Yeah. So, right. We kind of just get stuck in this cycle and I don't know, like even, even in me, like I've, I've started learning that behavior of being solutions oriented and I'm doing this with quotes (laughs) so people know. And even then it doesn't feel natural to me. Like I do it because I need to from a workplace environment, because that's what my white colleagues want, but that's not how I like naturally present and show up in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's just like really unfortunate. Like I, I've done a lot of like discovery and personal exploration where there's a lot of things about me that I've been doing just to adapt to this white environment around me a lot. Right. People are just like listening to me in their ears. Like I speak like a very like white person. I get that so much in life. So many people tell me that. That you speak like a white person. I speak like a white person. I enunciate my words a certain way. I I, you know, like you're articulate. I, I articulate, I use like sort of fluffy words, quote unquote, is what my life, my wife loves to say to me. <laughs> fluffy words. I'm, I'm fluffy when I talk. Do you ever, it, do you feel like, sorry, I interrupted you, but something you were saying, cause your wife was saying that you use fluffy words. Do you feel like your language, how you talk shifts at all from work to home or you, do you consistently bring that kind of fluffy language into your home life too, at just like unintentionally? I'm consistently like this. And I think when I was mentioning earlier, sort of right, the sort of the discovery of my Latinx identity, like I'm trying to incorporate more of that. And by that, I mean like, you know, jumping more into Spanish and being able to even just like articulate myself in Spanish in some ways, mm-hmm. like it's, it's just strange how, I mean, I know of so many people who either to me directly or to friends or to family or to someone else, when they hear them speaking Spanish, they think less of them immediately. Yeah. And that's the conditioning I'm currently working through. Like mm. I, I enunciate my words because I feel like if I have any sort of tone or Spanglish that comes out, I'm going to immediately be outcasted and put into this category. I'm not going to be considered for promotion. I'm going to be considered less than all of my other colleagues. And like, it's funny because a lot of the work that I want to do as a therapist is going to be in the community and with a lot of individuals who probably like don't even speak English. Yeah. And like, it's going to be a struggle for me. Like I'm going to struggle to like, have to like undo all of this conditioning because they're going to hear me and they're going to be like, what is this gringo going to really know about trying to help me out? Right. When it's like, no, like I'm not even from here. Like I'm not like my whole identity has sort of just been, I've cast it aside because I've felt like the only way I can succeed in America is to forcefully acculturate into sort of like American life and American values and American beliefs. Yeah. Well, we, just very clearly transitioned into the second segment because you're talking about what you don't want to do anymore. So tell us, Mike, what is no longer your ministry? I'll start off with like with like a story here. So it was a day during during class. I was uh, this past quarter. Um, I'm taking. I was taking two classes this quarter. One related to multicultural counseling, and the other related to Latinx counseling and psychology. So I was very much like this whole quarter, just like in the depths of just like cultural identities, intersectionality of your identities, all of these like very deep topics that I like, I started unraveling, I would say about two years ago, but had never really like sort of dove into to the extent that I have over the past like three months. Um, We had a break during class. I came out and there were, I would say like there were 90% Latinx people around me, 95% and 5% white people. Where did I walk towards? Oh no. Where did I walk towards? Did you walk toward the white people? I walked towards the white colleagues of mine and they were already people that I would say I had a neutral, if not negative relationship with. Okay. And 
I, you know, I started talking the way that I'm talking to you now. And as I like, as I stood in that moment, like, I was just like, what, like, what is happening right now? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm playing out this just like very strange scenario that I feel like I've played out so often in my life Hmm. in the sense of feeling like, like being more white and being more American is going to be what makes me happy, what fulfills me, what drives me, what really brings me what I want in life. Yeah. And it was just like, it was, it was such a like unbelievably jarring experience for me. Like the day after the days after that, I was just like in this total, just like black abyss and hole within myself where I was just like, like I've already known, like I I had already made that discovery that just like these American values and beliefs just like weren't supporting me in the way that I've continuously been sold to the idea that they would support me. And I'm just here literally playing it out physically. Like, like it just played out, like without me even thinking about it subconsciously, like I didn't even think twice. Like it was just like, boom, like beeline straight to these, like to these people. And I don't know, like that just like totally like opened my eyes to just like truly seeing like, Like I need to like really take a step back and reassess like what are the beliefs that I continue to hold true that Mm -hmm. this country has sold me Mm -hmm. and I really need to identify within myself like reconnect with the the ancestral parts of me. Did you notice in that moment that it was happening or was it something that came later that day? Oh, totally. No, like right in that moment as I stood there, I was just like, whoa like yeah what is happening I was I was just like I was in the in the feelings like right at that moment and (laughs) you would you (laughs) I'll say this because I I think it's like it's comically ridiculous how this happened (laughs) the topic of Donald Trump came up in that group with these two white people amongst Latinx people and It wasn't, it wasn't in support of, Yeah. but even the fact that it was just being in that space and having his name come up, like that to me just felt like insensitive directly. Like even just bringing it up, like, yo, like know your surroundings, dude. How, how is this like going down this rabbit hole even further than how I'm already feeling about it? Yeah. Um, But you said, I mean, you said a a few things that make a lot of sense, right? Because it's this idea of American values, I know that are definitely like thrust upon people immigrating here, right? You can be successful if you're more American, you know, you'll be successful if you'll be an American citizen. Like that's something that's not only sold, but also like systemically true, right? If you're an American citizen, then Mm -hmm. you have access to a lot more. That's why my dad became a citizen and my siblings became citizens. But then there's the part of whiteness and how because like you you and I both have seen skin folk who may not be kin folk who are in these white spaces and I've never blamed them because I'm like I understand that you've been sold survival and success through whiteness so the more closely you align yourselves with white people and like a white career path the more opportunity you'll be given but we don't really talk about what also will happen to those people in those spaces Yes. And right, like I sort of like with you mentioning the citizenship piece, like, like one thing I love to like sort of like think of this as is like, right, there's like, there's the idea of like acculturation, which is very sort of like you are coming to a new country and you're sort of adapting and adapting to that new country's sort of like beliefs and values and letting go of parts and pieces that are of your own, right? And I think of like, force acculturation to some extent, right? Like it's like, Mm -hmm. like, like language speaking, like that's, that's like the most like epitome, like sort of like, like foundational way of just like force force acculturation where um, people like the access that you get, the accessibility that you get and being able to just speak English in the United States 
like right skyrockets and mm-hmm. right um and not being then, able to speak english will keep you from certain things like actually like so healthcare or housing resources or any of any basically basic rights of people you can't have access to if you can't find someone who speaks your language so forget like spanish or french but like indigenous languages you can't navigate the systems without english yeah yeah right like it's like or if or if you can get access like it's like by jumping through a bajillion hurdles that almost make you feel like well i might as well just learn english right it would be easier than doing all of this exactly yeah so right like there's there's that piece that i sort of think of and i i love how you're getting to sort of this piece of like well what happens to someone who's sold these ideas, these dreams, and sort of um, through continuous acculturation just continues to meld themselves more and more into American culture, right? And that's where I was like two to three years ago. Yeah. Like that was, that was my life. Like, it's just like, and I, it was, it was a belief that I feel like I've been holding on to from like, probably like, vividly or like at at least from the way that I can define it and see it from probably being a teenager up until three years ago I'm like 35 36 so into my mid-30s for the most part yeah and what I continuously just like felt was just like honestly as I progress like and this is this is where this is like really challenging for me to talk about because I think I also gotta like I gotta mention my privilege and all this like I've worked at really great places. I've gotten the money that I've gotten sort of like through through all the work that I've done. I've gotten the opportunities and the professional experiences and all this stuff. So I'm like, that that's something that I'm trying to balance and figure out. Like how, how can I tell the story and talk about it without sort of like also acknowledging the privilege that I've gained through all this? Yeah, well, you can do both. I think yeah. that- Yeah, I think that's something that like I've had a lot of privilege growing up in my own ways and I acknowledge that. And also it is so hard to be a person of color in the spaces that we've had to occupy, like the kind of trauma that I'll forever be undoing because of it. Like I I was privileged to be there, but also I I would not recommend to a friend. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And I like, I feel like that's even like, even just hearing that from you so like validating for me because this is a part of my story that I'm dealing with right now is just like I know like I've I've acculturated so much and I know I want to undo that Mm -hmm. but I also still I'm figuring out how to tell this story while still acknowledging that privilege Mm -hmm. and you know ensuring that it comes it it feels like a double-edged sword to some extent Mm. explain that a little bit yeah like it's for a long time, ever since I was a teenager, like it was always this constant sense of like not listening to myself because of it. So by that, I mean, like there was always this feeling of like, there was always a disconnect. Like I felt like something was wrong. Like the environments and the places I was at just like didn't feel right. But I was lucky to be at the place that I was at. I felt like I needed to like be thankful and grateful for it. And I I didn't know how to hold space for both the challenges I was facing as a person of color, but the privilege that I was gaining. Right. Yeah, well, the things that helped me, uh, (laughs) number one, we don't owe white people or whiteness anything. So sure, we were privileged to be in those spaces. Mm -hmm. And yes, we were also lucky in a lot of ways, but also we worked like hell. So we don't owe them anything. And we also don't need to change our stories to make them feel good about what they quote unquote did for us when they didn't. We did it for ourselves in spaces that they didn't make for us. Mm -hmm. So I Mm -hmm. understand where you're coming from because yes, to have access to the types of work that we do have access to because of our experiences is a privilege because it's hard to get into some of these spaces. And once you're in, it's much easier. That being said, we don't owe them anything. So (laughs) I'm like, so put them out of your mind and tell your story. Like you're, you're allowed to 
say, yes, I have been privileged and then stop it there and leave it there and tell your full story without feeling bad about it. Yeah. Right. And it's like, I, th I think like, like, I like this because it's like, right, you can, you can see the unlearning that's still like there, right, from this conditioning. I think yeah. that's like, that's the part that I think like, we just like, there's a lot that's ingrained in all this that comes from so long, right? I think like, that's the part that I feel like can be so, so challenging, right? Like, it's like, yeah. you can know for so long that like, something doesn't feel right. Something feels like a disconnect. But then like, once you go back into the real world outside, like you're consistently sort of pushed back into thinking like, oh, well, maybe the way I was thinking about this was wrong. No, like, and that that's, and that's what I found out about two years ago. I was just like, no, like I'm not wrong. Like this isn't the way it should be. Mm -hmm. Like this hasn't been making me happy for so long. Mm -hmm. Like so, something's up here. Yeah. And it can be hard to trust that feeling when you're, when you are thinking that in a space of all of these people who aren't, you, it's just like one small thought in this like sea of like mainstream whiteness, right? You can't, it's hard to amplify your own belief in yourself when you're just like completely you're being drowned out. You're being drowned out. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious as we move into the third segment, it's the work for me, how you've been able to kind of, you know, work in progress every day, still trying to unlearn how you've been putting in that work to unlearn these things. And also going back to what you said, how you've been really kind of rediscovering and reconnecting with your roots as a Latinx person. Yeah. So I, right. Like it's like about, about two years ago, it was a sense of like, okay, like this isn't working for me. Like, like, how do I just like take more actions for myself? That was like, sort of like the, the idea there. It was just like, how can I just continue bringing myself up and supporting the actions that feel true to me? Yeah. And that first step was just this sort of like, I, I knew like I'd known for so long that just tech wasn't it for me, but especially as a person of color who came from parents who have been on all types of social services and support to be able to survive in this country, letting go of the money is extremely challenging. Ooh, who are you telling? <laughs> <laughs> that money looks good when you see it. So good. And I still like, like, I still don't like, I still don't know like what that's going to look like past this, but right. Like that, that continuously came up. And so like, I just know, like I'm going into counseling psychology because I think what's honestly helped me most in making these discoveries is working with a therapist. Yes. Like, and she unto herself, like has definitely done some things that have been in perpetuation of the systems around us. Mm. And I think that that's a, a very important thing for anyone who is in therapy to sort of keep in mind is just that there is a perspective of your own that you need to bring into that work while you're doing it that, you know, should really reflect the values you're trying to grow in, not the values of the system that are around you that you're trying to get out of. Yeah. You know, like I, I transitioned into going back to school now, honestly, like I'm, I'm at a, another company doing work. That's just like, I'm, I'm honestly just like foot off the pedal kind of deal, just like taking a step back on this stuff in the, the tech space. Yeah. And I'm learning a lot more that just like, one, like the fact that I'm uncomfortable around Latinx people onto itself is just an extremely strange thing, right? Mm -hmm. And I can identify the strangeness in it. I'm just like, I can point it out. I can feel into it. And I think that that's sort of, that's been the work for me. Like sort of, I mentioned up top is just like, feeling into those moments of just like, why does this feel this way? So for example, like during the summer, right? I ha have a son, he's 10 months old. Um, during the summer, uh, In the Heights came out on HBO, right? Yeah. And as a person from the Caribbean, a person from the Dominican Republic, like very few times do I like see my culture represented on TV, period. Like, yeah. And my wife, uh, myself and uh, my sister-in-law were watching it baby must have been about I don't know like five or six months old at that time and honestly like and I'm gonna get a little choked up just like even just like reminiscing and thinking through this but like there was a moment where I just like I saw all this play out on sort of tv right and I was just like 
yo, like, I hold like no true connections to any parts of my culture. Mm. Like my mom and I think my family, like, honestly, it's like very like sad in some sense where they also bought into this belief yeah. of this, this world, this new world that we were living in. And, you know, like there's, there's like religion and right, Catholicism. That's what I was sort of like grew up in, but right. Like that comes with its own sort of sense of like the colonization piece that's forcing yeah. that into us. Yeah. And also just the other sort of patriarchal views of every like there's 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 a lot there to unpack that I think doesn't truly make me feel like that's a part of like my true culture from the Dominican Republic right yeah there's the food piece right and I can connect to that I'm a cook I love cooking like that's my vibe and my jam and that's been a really healing thing for me like my whole life has just been staying connected to that and really like holding on to that and bringing that into my life day to day right and you know music a little bit but it's funny too because even with music like you know, like my, my Dominican bachata singers and artists, like they're also just trying to like live in this world too and trying to come up and make it big. Right. Yeah. And it's kind of like really unfortunate when a lot of the stuff that they're showing on music videos and stuff is all about being a player, being a cheat, like all this stuff and sort of love and romance and sexuality in a way where I'm like, yeah, like I I can see a little bit of of the cultural vibe in this, but it's like 90% it's like Western. 10% of the video. And then the other 90% is all of this excess that they've also been sold and that they've bought into. Yep. Growing up and watching certain music videos. And now all of a sudden there's like the Nigerian rappers who are trying to assimilate to Western culture, because yes, if they get discovered, then they can be mainstream in the U S and that could be huge for their success. So once again, sold these stories of you need to change who you are at your roots and be more American to thrive and that's the only or even i mean i shouldn't even say to thrive to survive in a lot of these cases because without that kind of success how are they going to be feeding their families and taking care of themselves exactly and i love i love you said the word assimilation there because i think that that's also like a that's a myth i think we all buy into we Mm. get sold the idea that we can assimilate through assimilation assimilation is like the other culture accepts you and brings you in we're never going to assimilate like a word we're never going to assimilate and I think that that's the the other term that sort of like I've also heard and been using frequently is understanding how to like enculturate myself like that's this process that I'm going through is trying to understand how to keep my culture Mm -hmm. with regardless of how I'm adapting to this other new culture how Mm -hmm. do I enculturate myself and the sort of the other way that I'm I, I think about this sort of this sense of adaptation is sort of keeping our cultures alive within us as a way to thrive in this new space is how do we like inoculate ourselves as to prevent ourselves from getting too caught up in these other beliefs and values yeah how do we hold true like who we are where we come from and what empowers us and what empowers our people to know that like no matter like what I'm going through, no matter what I'm sold out there, like I know and I hold this part of Mike Valdez mm-hmm. and his Dominican identity to be totally true mm-hmm. and ensuring that like I can, as new sort of ideas and beliefs come from sort of this right-hand side from the American values side, yeah. I can actually like look at each one as it's coming in and assess and like figure out yes or no. And I, am I going to adapt this into my life? And how can I do it from a lens of a Latinx individual who still wants to be himself and support himself? Yeah. Yeah. And also, and I'm wondering too, how you're, you're, I mean, I feel like a lot of the work that you're doing is like mindset and, and like a lot of intellectual discovery, which is awesome. That's like a place I like to play in, but I'm curious too about like how you're going to try and raise your son with more of who you are rather than more of who you've become because of these lies. <laughs> like, I don't want to make it dramatic, but also oh, yeah. like, yeah, I, I'm just curious. Cause I, I'm sure now it's going to play a part in your parenting. Exactly. And that's, that's what came up, right. As well as we were watching the Heights, this whole thing of just like, Oh man, like I'm, I, I almost like this feeling of like, I have nothing to show him for, for, for like for my Dominican culture to, to some extent. Right. Yeah. And a lot of it has been us being super intentional about it. Yeah. Like my wife, for example, she's, she's Mexican. Her family is very like 
So for example, like for, for Latinx, like the, we have this like phrasing or cultural value called familismo, which is just like, right, the support and the extent of how you connect and believe and sort of thrive with your family and the people around you, right? I love that. Yeah, and in some ways, like there's there's certain levels of it that, you know, can can go off the deep end and sort of it's all a matter of sort of finding the balance for it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like she she has a good sense of that. Her and her family have a good sense of that. That's great. So we're raising him with a lot of that. Like he sees his grandma who lives in the Midwest, like almost every day on FaceTime, for example. That's so sweet. I love that. <laughs> he FaceTimes with her all the time. We just started celebrating Dia de los Muertos, which my wife never really grew up celebrating. Oh. I mean, she was, she was born and raised in Mexico. She migrated, they migrated here when she was 18, mm-hmm. but it just wasn't part of like their, their routine. Right. So, you know, and for us, it's like doing that exploration and doing it from like a really intentional way of like ensuring it's also not like appropriating and we're just like literally coming at it from like like what do we want this to look like for our family so for us like our dia de los muertos altar is the full month of november we have it up and we have it out there like i have my family there too right i'm not mexican but like i have my grandparents up there and Mm -hmm. you know as he gets older like you know we can tell him stories about everyone that's up there and he can learn also like we can start to like give him more information about his family history, right? Mm-hmm. Which can also just like feed into that sort of like that cultural perspective piece. There was this holiday that my mother used to celebrate called Dia de los Mercedes in the Dominican Republic. Okay. It was like the day of the Mercedes, right? And my mom never really celebrated much in relation to our culture, but that was one thing. Her name is Mercedes. And oh, she's nice. always like connected with it. And she always just like, it was a big thing for her, right? I did some research on it. It's connected to some really terrible things that happened in the Dominican Republic. It was connected to how the Spaniards that came in, they had some prayers to a saint named Mercedes, and she came and helped them wipe out some of the indigenous people that were in the land. Oh, wow. And right. So it's like one, like, it's like, I'm, I'm just like, you know, like I'm literally just like trying to figure this stuff out, Googling. I'm like, okay, like that's not, that's not what we're going to celebrate. <laughs> like, and then, we don't celebrate genocide. We don't. How am I going to talk to my mom about this and have a conversation and just start to at least like make her a little bit more aware of where all of this comes from. Mm-hmm. And right. Like that, that's the work for me right now. It's yeah. just at least like doing that exploration, diving into it, but also just like, okay, like how am I also going to start to change the family also as a part of this? How am I going to lead with my heart and have these really challenging conversations. So I like not only like better myself and better my son, but also just like start to like spread those roots further. Even, you know, like my mom's in her mid seventies, like, yeah. like she's, she's getting to the end of her road too. And, you know, I can acknowledge that, but it's like, it's never too late to start to do any of that teaching. No. And that's, that's the work right now. And that's what it's looking like for me. Yeah. And then, I mean, longer term, the work will be, the, the new career that you have supporting Latinx families. And I feel like that itself and having those exchanges and, you know, getting, I mean, obviously you're, you're more, you're counseling, so you don't get to be vulnerable, but letting them be vulnerable with you and helping them through those moments, that certainly is going to change a lot too. Yeah. And contributing, like being a part of the community, like mm-hmm. not just like as a Latinx individual, but as a person who just wants to help the community thrive. And, you know, that, that can be either like community sort of like population sort of Bay Area. It can be digitally over social media. It can be helping all other peoples of color make sure that they're getting their voices heard. Because I think that that's also a part of this for me, too. Like, it's not just about like, like I'm Latinx and I'm connected to that and that's a part of my identity. But it's also just like the overall like systems of oppression that we're all facing as people of color. Like that's Mm -hmm. also part of my identity. And that's the work that I'm trying to undo in myself to empower and be an ally to others. And how can we do that? So we're at the last segment, hashtag, I'm not sorry. And this is where we talk about taking a break from all this work because healing work can be, I, I think I heard a quote yesterday, like healing, healing work could actually be more painful and harder than the trauma itself. And I find that there are moments in time, especially for me, where I just need to be like, you know what, fuck it. Like, I'm not going to do all these things and I'm not sorry. I'm not going to spend my time trying to 
you know, reconnect with something right now. I'm not trying to spend my time intellectualizing this moment that's got me fucked up. I'm just going to do whatever. So what is your hashtag? I'm not sorry. Activity moment ways that you set boundaries. What are, what is that for you? It's knowing that this is a marathon. It's knowing that my son is growing up and just being there for him as a dad. Yeah. And seeing his face and just knowing like, Hey, like today, like all of this is getting put aside and we're going to go to the, we're going to go to the playground. I love that. He's going to chase me around. I'm going to chase him around. That's like the weird part about a lot of this, like taking of the break, not being sorry for taking the break. Like that unto itself is super healing on its own. Yeah. Not feeling the guilt from not resting. Feeling, every time I play with him, like my inner child comes alive and is like so happy. And um, my inner child is just like thriving through my connection with my son in that sense. And so there's like healing happening there, but it's not like, like, it's not, it's not like, I'm not like in it. I'm not in it. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, I'm, I'm just playing. Yeah. I'm just playing and having a good time. It's having people over for dinner parties. Like, again, like I, I love to like cook. I love to feed people. What's your favorite and thing to cook? So we, we go through phases, but usually the, the dinner party go-to is chile relleno, Ooh. which is my wife's specialty. It's, um, it's a, poblano pepper that's roasted you take the skin off you batter it you stuff it with cheese and then you deep fry it um and can i come over for dinner you're <laughs> like you're not, are you serious <laughs> sounds so good right now and you you stew it in like a tomato chipotle sauce you serve it with white rice or with tortillas or whatever the case might be like that's our go-to thing because it's also really like easy to flex for like vegetarians and mm-hmm. everyone is, it's a very welcoming dish. It's a very easy dish for us to do, but really it's like not even about the feeding. It's just like coming together with community, like yeah. just like having people around. And even in those moments too, like, it's like, I'm not actively healing, but it was, it was so awesome because for, for, Tur- for Turkey week, we, we have like a Friendsgiving that we do mm-hmm. and we had friends over and you know, like a lot of like, it's all people who know sort of like this journey I've been on going back to school. And even as a part of it, like it's been, it's friends of mine who are just like, also just like all of us, like super educated, super smart, super brilliant, Mm -hmm. who are just like going through the motions too. And the fact that we can all sit together and they can be like acculturation. That's what I've been dealing with my whole life. Yeah. Like, it's like, I like, we saw like, we saw like light bulbs light up with just like our friends who like, we're like super cool with it. I'm just like, I'm glad I can bring, like, I'm just like, we're just chatting. Yeah. And I'm glad I can just also just bring this knowledge in and just like help, help unlock that in whatever way I can. It makes a difference. It makes a big difference. And I, this is why I'm so happy that you're on the podcast. Cause I know there are going to be people listening and they're going to be like, I never had anything to name it. When you told me acculturation, I'm not going to lie. I didn't know it as a term. And when I looked it up, I was like, oh, this is this is going to be a good topic to unpack because in so many ways, so many of us don't even know the extent of it. I think there are clear things. Right. But even just some of the stuff that you have mentioned, it's like it takes a lot for you to get to a point where you're noticing that. And for you, you had this like very impactful moment that was very clear because of the people and the groups and you could like see it you had this visual representation not all of us get those moments and so it's like it's so it's like simple things like how you think about time and how you think about growth and how you like all these things where we're just like oh no no that's just how we think and it's like actually you've been in the process of acculturation which is it's it's mind-blowing once you start to think about it it's a little bit scary (laughs) it's like the, the naming of it was honestly what just like, especially again, these past like three to four months has just been like a light switch of just like change in that sense. And not even just like naming it, but then also like coming to terms, like honestly, like as I was going through it, like it's taken me a while to get here in the sense of like coming to terms with the fact that it's like, I've been in and sort of like adapted and be held so true some of these beliefs and values that have honestly been doing me wrong this whole time and 
as someone who's like in his mid thirties, who like, I just like, sometimes like, like even like I, I was, as I was in the depths of it, I was thinking back and I was just like, I feel like I'm so behind. Mm. I feel like I'm so behind because I'm only figuring this out now. And I have to undo all of this work that has sort of like built itself into me for such a long period of time. That's, that's when I was in the depths of it, like that's where I was. Like once I actually started to accept it, like when I was in the depths, I was like, man, like, do I even wanna, do I even wanna unravel this and actually undo this work? Well, the good thing is being behind is very much a white standard. Let's go ahead and undo that because I think you're right on time. And also like better now than just never figuring it out. Yes. Cause I certainly, I know I've gotten to every year. I feel like I learned something that completely rocks my world. And I feel like I'm still working through the idea that things have to be done by a certain Mm -hmm. time things, you know, like I have to know a certain amount. I need to be at a certain place. I need to succeed in this certain way. Um, I need to be known by this time. And it's like, actually, none of that has to be true. In fact, next year, I can completely decide to do something else. Like I could be a botanist and I'm not going to be a botanist, but I could. And that would be a great move for then. And in 20 years, I could do something entirely different. That'll be a great move then. So like the fluidity of it all is something that we all need to hold on to. And that's something that I'm still working on. Yeah. I mean, that, that's exactly what came up as, as I decided to go into counseling psychology, right? I have 15 plus years in professional experience in tech, right? Yeah. That's a move. I'm let and go of a lot, right? You shed a lot just by changing career paths. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, Also not, not to say that psychology unto itself, also very Eurocentric, and, and thankfully, like I'm coming into it already with this perspective of just like, I'm challenging every single one of these personality theories and frameworks, unless it's like culturally focused, because ain't no way I'm bringing in any more of those American values and beliefs in here anymore, right. unless it's like really been like adapted for the way I want to live my life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a sense of like, as I went into it, I was just like, you know what, like I'm doing this, but like if like two years from now, three years from now, five, 10 years from now, like if I don't want to do this anymore, that's totally cool. At least it's like, it's a step in the direction mm-hmm. of what sits true and right within me. And the next thing that'll lead me to a change that's just as dramatic as this one is going to be worth it because this one is worth it. And I am worth it. I do want to close this podcast. And I wanted to ask you kind of for anybody who might be listening and they're like, freaking out. Um, <laughs> they're like, Ooh, my whole life is a lie. Um, and that's not true, but you know, you've been sold some things. Where is a good place for people to kind of start rejecting acculturation and, and just being truer to themselves? Like what's a good, easy few things they can do to get started. Can I, can I read something? Yeah. Oh, hundred okay. percent. Oh, okay. So there's this really amazing writer that, so where can you start? I would like the first thing I would say is writing. Like writing has honestly been the biggest therapeutic piece for me. Like when I'm in the depths of those feelings and even grappling with like, do I want to do this work? How have I bought into this lie? How have I done all of this? Like the writing piece of it and just name, right? It's like, it's that naming part of it again. Like once you keep naming it over and over again, like it becomes much more crystal clear and you're able to just like at least soften that part around your heart a bit. And it just softens over time, right? Like, it's like, you know, it's not gonna like, again, like, right, I'm, I'm here talking to you and I'm, there's a lot I'm still letting go of, right? And I'm gonna continue letting go of it years and years and years. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna read this, um, it's from this, this guy, uh, his, his pen name is Jung Pueblo. I don't know if you've heard of him. I have, um, yes. His name is Diego Perez. Um, he has two really awesome books. This one's from his book, Clarity and Connection. Um, and this, this, this one particular topic just like really stood out to me. Um, for those who are also, again, like just really into this type of exploration, his reading helps to unwrap some of that too. And it's been also very uh, reflectionary for me. So um, here you go. They asked her, What does letting go mean? She answered, letting go does not mean erasing a memory, 
or ignoring the past. It is when you are no longer reacting to the things that used to make you feel tense and you are releasing the energy attached to certain thoughts. It takes self-awareness, intentional action, practice, and time. Letting go is the act of getting to know yourself so deeply that all delusions fall away. This podcast is a labor of love. And too often, labor by Black women happens without compensation. If anything in this episode resonated, and if you're taking anything along with you today, please consider donating to our Patreon or sending funds via Venmo. All information is available on that'snolongermyministry.com. Also, wherever you're listening to this episode, please consider subscribing and tuning in to next week's community release. Bye, fam.